Welcome to the Spartan Pro Show, where leaders come to grow personally, grow professionally, and make a difference. With your host, David Childs of Spartan Planning Group and David Lillard of Spartan Branding. Today, we interview John DeLine. We as leaders have got to kind of acknowledge where we're coming from. So in what our role is, what is the role of an owner of a company, a CEO or an entrepreneur? You know, we're really in charge of getting out ahead of our organizations and doing three things. It's really fulfilling our mission, making sure we're, you know, have a strategy and, and we're executing it. And then we're building our cultures. Today we have John DeLine with us. John DeLine's got a really fascinating background. He's a dynamic mission-driven business executive. He's highly regarded for his visionary leadership and success both in leading small growth stage businesses and large global companies alike. You know, we've, uh, David Lillard and I have both known him through C12 as well as we have a lot of different varied connections just all over the board. And it's just been fascinating. Every conversation that we've sat down and had with him over the years has been really intriguing. And so just some of his background, he spent several years as an executive at Danaher Corporation, widely known for its M&A performance and executing world-class business systems. After he left Danaher, John had a successive president and CEO roles, both in private equity groups and private family office uh, groups. And, and most recently, he was the president, CEO, and a part owner of Beta Fueling Systems an aircraft refueling equipment manufacturer that he and his team were able to turn around and increase the value of the business five times in just four years. Well, it's incredible. And in fact, if you've flown through, you know, Atlanta, Hartfield airport or a lot of other airports, you've seen his equipment or you've flown because of his equipment that's been there. It's pretty cool to think about. Uh, John successfully sold his ownership stake in beta in 2019 to travel with his family and his, and to visit, national parks all around the country. And uh, now he's founded, since he left, founded and currently is building a new company called Scout, in which he works directly with CEOs, business owners, and boards of directors to identify their critical business threats and opportunities and turn them into profitable growth. So that that's a lot, that's a big resume. That's a lot of stuff that you've had going on. It's just fascinating, which I think points back to probably a lot of the influence that's made our conversation so interesting over, gosh, I mean, I technically we've known each other for years, but we've not, we've not had a, a ton of interaction until maybe a year ago or so, but it's still in that short amount of time, just getting to know your background and, and the diverse experience that you've had is pretty interesting. But I want to, I want to start with a, a personal grain there. So you sold your ownership stake to visit national parks in what month? So this was last year, uh, just to, you know, we, we sold officially, I was kind of moving on and transitioning in July and it kind of wrapped up around September, October, but we actually had not pulled the kids out of school until Valentine's Day. And we had just gotten in the middle of our first trip when this, the health pandemic hit and our lives as with millions of others was changed instantly. We, we had to come home and now we were already homeschooling and uh, you know, kind of already a little bit prepared in certain ways than maybe others have been impacted, but, uh, but we've, we've definitely had to adjust as well. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that was just crazy hearing that you're going to, to travel national parks and then I see the news coming out of national parks closing and people being shut in place and people can't travel. So, right. wow. 
Well, and maybe we'll get into that more. I just, that's just uh, odd timing, but uh, yeah. It's, yeah and, I, and, and before we even get started, David, I just want to thank the two of you. I think what you're doing here on the Spartan Pro Show is really great. I've listened to a couple and I just want to acknowledge up front that your listeners and leaders today are probably in a lot of change like everyone is in varying stages. You know, some of them have had to pivot a lot or a little or, you know, whatever there is going on through this crisis right now. And some of them may have been better positioned for all this. We don't know. But I hope whatever we say meets them where they're at and they find very helpful to uh, drive their organizations and lead them into a better tomorrow. Absolutely. Well, so, so you are, are interested in, you have a lot of experience of helping companies build less fragile or kind of more robust organizations. And so to that point, uh, John, what is it that, you know, an organization can do or the, the leaders within that organization can do to be more prepared to survive this crisis as well as future crises? Obviously, this one is pretty much unprecedented. I mean, yes, you can look back 90 to 100 years and see the 1918 pandemic, a lot of things, but with there's all kinds of threats out there, all kinds of things that, that can take a more fragile organization and crush it. And so what can those organizations or leaders be doing to create more robust organizations and be more agile to respond? That's a great question. I think the first thing to do, we as leaders have got to kind of acknowledge where we're coming from. So in what our role is, what is the role of an owner of a company, a CEO or an entrepreneur? You know, we're really in charge of getting out ahead of our organizations and doing three things. It's really fulfilling our mission. It's really kind of making sure we're execute, you know, have a strategy and, and we're executing it. And then we're building our cultures to do that. Now, the other important thing is that we've got to do is we've got to put a process in place by which we execute and we adjust and we repeat. It's, it's an ongoing thing. It's not a one-time thing. And I've spoken to a lot of uh, business owners of varying backgrounds, and a lot of them will take, uh, especially on the smaller entrepreneurial side, will take a, a real pride in not having any of that quote-unquote big company stuff. You know, yeah, we don't have a strategy. We don't have to um, you know, have any big processes or a mission and vision statement and my culture. We just kind of respond and, and, and to what the needs are and, and make it work. And, um, but when you speak to these folks, David, you really find that they do have a process. You ask clarifying questions and you find out they do, it's a, they have a customer defined mission that they're doing. They know what game they're playing and how they're gonna win. And they have a culture that right or wrong is either aligned to helping them do that or maybe not. And, uh, and uh, the, the, you know, the key thing is that they've gotten there for a reason. And a lot of them have been very successful. The question is, can they get from where they're at to where they're going and truly have a platform that will survive themselves because it involves others. And this is a good, you know, a good process is the short answer that will really, um, where you're intentional with that mission, that strategy and culture, and you, you facilitate it as a leader constantly and you weave it into the DNA and, and allow that greater long-term success than just where you've brought it to today. So, so for leaders, you know, uh, some of them fee may feel like they're stuck in a startup or in a turnaround, um, you know, especially right now, a lot of people, most, most businesses feel like they're having to almost turn around their business. Uh, and for, you know, especially with the urgentness that everyone is feeling, um, 
you know, how can leaders navigate and be more agile through, you know, both opportunities and threats? You know, how do I understand what kind of situation I'm in and what I should do? That's a great question. I think everything starts with an honest assessment of our leadership. So how much effort, here's a couple questions that may help vet that out. How much effort am I spending uh, facilitating my team and the other key stakeholders, customers, shareholders, what have you, through a process that discerns what's an opportunity for our business and what may be a threat we may need to consider. Um, am I doing that once a year, twice a year, never? And you know, am I measuring in the, the rewarding the outcomes of that effort and am I doing it consistently? How does it tell me where I'm spending my time? What, who am I hiring? Who am I spending my time with to develop? And probably most importantly, do I have a process in place at all that will survive me and be adaptive enough so my organization can keep taking advantages of risks and new opportunities after I'm gone? That starts with a self-inward look of how much time am I really spending because we as leaders are the ones who lead it. So just a follow-up on that, you know, is that one of the biggest threats that most businesses experience is just that they don't have a plan, don't have a process. They're not thinking inwardly about their leadership style and what they're doing to lead their business. I think so. I mean, and I have also been a part of this in small businesses and startups, but I think that is the biggest threat is it's that point. um, You know, I speak a little bit about uh, a lot when we uh, as leaders have to be directive it's not all planning and plans for the sake of plan. When you're starting up and you're growing fast, you, you sometimes don't have the time or the luxury in the situation to, to have a good plan. You are directing the activities of others and that's okay. But it's the biggest threat as you stated is being able to realize when it's no longer that and that you're not needed in that role anymore as a leader. You need to get out ahead of your organization and get others involved and lead them to reach the organization potential, not what you're limiting them at that point in time that you might've had to get through. Because if you get hit by a bus and you haven't made that step yet, and an organization is big enough that it needs some duplication of, of process, not just a really good leader. That's right. And I think that's a lot what Abby was talking about and others talking about. One of the biggest things is, is thinking about that legacy early and working on it. That's the real value of your business because it's what will survive and be adaptive to what's next. Okay. Awesome. Well, so, so there, are, there are obviously specific steps and, and you know, critical steps to making sure that you follow the process. Now, some folks probably could follow it to a T. Some folks just need to hit major hurdles, right? And make sure that they are, to your point, they're staying ahead of the organization's needs. So I'm hearing you say that facilitating a process in your, in your example, at least once a year, and making sure it gets deployed fully through your organization, allowing your team and others to participate and actually execute it on a daily basis, that that's just critically important. And so some listeners out there have personal expertise in a process but how do, we, how do we formalize that, whether it be taking their personal expertise, their board of, owner, board of directors, uh, opinions, or if they're working with somebody like you, um, how, how do they work through that specific process and make sure it works for them? That's a great, a great question. And I think I'd, I'd like to just propose that we talk through maybe a simple three-step process so we can have a framework 
by which uh, folks listening to this can apply it to their situation. And I think it really, you gotta, one of the things as we as leaders can do is I know a lot of us don't like to talk about bad news or think about bad things happening. We like to be glass half, glass is half full, we're going to the moon, right? And so, but you gotta start thinking about risk like pandemics or cyber attacks or the next thing that could happen as a result of this, a great you know, recession and how long it might be as potential opportunities. And so we are weaving that in again into the fabric of our organizations by trying to look at the upsides of a new customer opportunity just as much as we're looking at a threat and how we can serve that need better. So it's how we think about this in this first step. So I'd like to just propose that step one, you know, it's not just us and our leadership teams. It's understanding and really documenting those two separate things. What are the customer needs that we meet today and, and are giving us wins right now? Why do they come to us versus other people? What makes us better than those other alternatives? Do we really have that understood? And are we working every day to improve that? And then what are the lists? You know, not every risk is a threat to every business. You know, a tsunami may be a bigger threat to somebody than, you know, uh, something else. And um, we have to pick the ones that will have the biggest impact on us. But we have to get a list of those things and kind of run those scenarios through by understanding them. And what that will do, essentially, is that you got to look at that when you run that in is how can we survive a cyber attack, let's say, and still get better at serving those customer needs. And if you understand those two buckets right away really, really well, you know the game you're playing and you, you can think about better ways of how to win. That's, that's how you kind of get your strategy. And you, again, this is not just you in a, in a room with your leadership team, David. This is involving customers, constantly understanding, looking for what they're not asking for. It involves suppliers. It involves reaching out, you know, what, are, what do they see that you, you know, could be doing next? What are all those things, it's, it's, it's the key employees, it's, it's talking and it, it's, it's more about, less about talking rather than more about listening and understanding those two buckets. Yeah, I love that. I love the way that you position it based around the customer needs as well. You know, I, I think, um, you know, if there's not a, a problem for our customers, there's not really a product or a service or anything we can do to help them, right? And so if we don't start there, we're just pushing products. That's right. Yeah. You, you, you're looking for a looking for a, a, a solution to a problem that might not exist or trying to sell a solution that might not exist right? yeah. for a problem. Absolutely. So let's, uh, let's dive in just a little bit into that step. So we're talking about understanding customer needs and identifying, uh, you know, risks as opportunities. Um, you know, so what, what could uh, an example be of a leader turning a negative into a positive? I think that's great, a great point to do that. Let me ask uh, David, let me ask you, what, what, uh, let's talk about banks. Let's just pick a, let's pick a business and talk about it. Um, what do you get at your bank and in interest rate today? What are you getting on your savings account, let's say? Uh, virtually nothing. Virtually nothing. And I think that's true for a lot of our, a lot of the listeners, right? They're not going to the bank today, per se, at least today, for a CD rate that's killer or a savings rate that's killer. I mean, what are the needs that banks are serving? They're really, if, at least if I'm speaking if, from my bank, and the reason I go to them is I'm looking for them to give me the most convenient, lowest cost transactions. And I'm really looking for them to secure the funds I have. Don't lose them, right? And so 
Um, and I, let's talk about these banks. They're probably out there right now in doing some formal sort of budgeting process, at least that says, well, if interest rates go higher, our net interest margin will be good and we can grow in these areas. And if it's flat, we'll continue to have to cut expense. And if it's, if it goes to zero, heaven forbid, and interest rates go to zero or beyond, you know, negative, we're going to have to close more branches and cut more expenses. They probably have a playbook like that that they've thought through. But the real question is, have they taken that playbook and identified the risk of a cyber attack? I've brought that up, right? And said, what, how could we better take the need of more convenience, lower cost, and more security and meet it when there's a cyber attack? And if they had, I'm not saying this is the answer for every bank, David, but you know, they would have probably been drawn to new technologies like a blockchain or a distributed sort of, sort of a model. So a person attacking the bank doesn't have one place to go get all the, everyone's money. They have to go attack different nodes and, and the security of each of those nodes stands on its own. So it, that system we've also read about will lower the transaction fees of credit cards and networks for our, the customers and make it more convenient where and how we use our money in the future. So that's an example of how going through a scenario of something very bad that could happen to a bank could actually spark it as an opportunity to better serve the needs. And I think all of us know on this entire thing today that if we had a massive cyber attack at our bank or a, a global bank or a big bank or even a regional bank, we'd all be running for the bank who had thought that through and who had the best security, best convenience and lowest cost transactions. So it works today when there's no threat and it works even better during a threat. That's how you become more robust. That's an example of how you become more robust in your thinking. And um, yeah, so, so I, I would say, you know, that higher, you know, th th these are things that people just don't do because of the inertia of the systems they've built, the cultures they've built, their mission, it just prevents them. And that's why these are always kind of startups maybe coming out of uh, small startup ventures that get into that and, and disrupt the industry and they, they never see it coming. But I think, you know, necessity is the mother of invention here. So if you, if you put yourself in that scenario, you'll realize the cost of doing nothing is far greater than moving toward the right thing. And I'm not saying that's right, but that's an example of how those work together. Interesting. Well, so I'm, I'm actually, I'm down at the, the beach this week and I've been reading a book called The Catalyst by Jonah Berger. I don't know if either of you have heard of that. It's a relatively recent new release and it, everything you were just saying there was kind of ticking off. This is what he just said. This is what Jonah just said. This is what Jonah just said. Just fascinating two worlds colliding right there. But it's, it's talking about in, in chemistry and I, I been a long time since I've done chemistry. So I'm going to sort of butcher it. But his example was how um, th th there are the catalysts that you can add to a, a an item, you know, a chemical item that actually reduces the energy needed. And he was saying, how can you add something into a picture that takes less energy to create more heat when literally we understood the chemical reaction to be that you require more energy to create more heat? And it was about how actually with using less in the right way, you can create more. A fascinating book for anyone listening. And, and John, just as you're continuing to pitch this message, I think that book goes right parallel perfectly with what you're talking about. And it was talking about the inertia and the power of inertia and how just changing the message a little bit can, they were talking about Brexit, they were talking about the Trump campaign, they were talking about the Obama campaign, all these different things that got a message 
to get people to do something that seemed like that actually was the status quo, going right. back to something again or right. back to basics. And so it's just really interesting about the, the power of the status quo and how you need to overcome that. So quick aside there. That's I'm writing that one down. That sounds like a good book. Absolutely. Well, so, so now that I, now that I kind of took us off, off track, but you were just talking about the one, uh, the one thing about putting yourself in these scenarios before they happen to really answer the question of how can you be the best alternative during that time? And John, in your example, when you're talking about the bank, shoot, I'm not going to, well, so once the cyber attack happens, yes, I'm going to the other bank, but if the other bank clearly communicates that they're already taking these strategic initi initiatives to address that, I'm going to that bank before the cyber attack happens, right? It meets our needs better, doesn't it, today? That, that's yeah. right. Less of a threat, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I can see how this can, can force an organization to get better, to get more robust, even if that crisis never happens, to get more customers, right? But, but that's because if they can prove or demonstrate that they are taking those threats seriously, then uh, that's really where I'm going to be taking my money. Mm -hmm. And so how do leaders capture and focus on those critical issues for their business? Well, you just said a critical word here, which is focus. I mean, let's be honest for all the listeners out there, you know, not, we can't have all the customers in the world. We can't meet all the needs in the world, at least not for very long in whatever industry we're defining or getting into. It's just not practical. And it's almost as equally as important for us as leaders to define what we're not going to do. That's a lot of what strategy is. And, you know, this is the ideal client and here's how we're going to meet their needs better than anybody else it has a lot of no in how we do that. But then there's an important step. So we'll go through these exercises of identifying needs and threats and looking at them as one and the same for just getting better at fulfilling, right? But we'll pick an initiative. And sometimes what you have to do the immediately after you say, yes, that's what we need to do. You know, if we're the bank, yes, let's get into blockchain. Well, okay, is there any evidence in your profit and loss statement and maybe your customer complaints and service organization um, have you looked over that stuff and looked at the current workload that, you're, that you already have across your organization? Is there any evidence that you've succeeded implementing a similar system to what you're doing? And if the answer is no, guess what? You either got to rescope that initiative to something that you can swallow, or you've got to reprioritize it, or you got to kill it all together. And I would not be afraid to kill poor initiatives. That's a job as a leader mm -hmm. saying no. What are we going to say no to if we're going to keep getting great at those things our customers care about and they're going to continue to trend higher and higher in their need over time? Let's focus on those things. We can't be everything. So with that, you know, there's, you know, you talked about assessing customer needs and I think most of our uh, listeners probably have a good understanding of what their customer needs are. We think about opportunities as, you know, risk, but there's a lot of risk out there, right? And that could lead to a lot of potential initiatives that you could take on. How do we decide which, which initiatives to focus on? Which ones are, are pipe dreams and which ones are things that our organizations can actually execute? Well, let, I, I'll answer that by giving you an example from my own experience here at beta fueling systems. When we're designing this, these trucks to put fuel in your airplane to make you go from A to B, right? At every airport, um, I'll be a little transparent here. I tend to embrace change very well. 
I like to drive change and I have high expectations and I love to move fast. People who know me and have worked with me know that about me. <laughs> and so I really believe that your strengths become your weaknesses when you let them go to an excess. Okay. Um, so there was a point in Beta's history where we were, we had been through a turnaround. It was, you know, I, I wanted to believe as a leader that we had turned around the organization in that aviation sector is pretty narrow and it's, you know, and defined. And it was clear that we need to diversify our offering outside of aviation over time to really have a better, healthier, more robust business, right? That was something we had to do. Now, the core problem was, is I, in my mind, wanted to believe that we were through everything in our core business and ready for that next step. But we, every job that we took for every truck was a special project. So it took a lot of engineering resources. It took a lot of the organization resources to do the first one. And we call them science projects and snowflakes. And the people who worked there with me would laugh right now to hear that. But that's what we called them. And we thought we had standardized our product enough, or at least I did. I thought it was enough. But the truth was, a lot of our new orders coming in still took a, consumed a tremendous amount of resources. So when I went out and developed, you know, wanted to develop into the basically the Uber of fuel where you can order up gas and have it fill up your car's tank and make those trucks. I wanted to get into that industry three years too early. Okay. <laughs> and and I, 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 I was dying to get in there and it just didn't fit. It had to be deprioritized because we were still doing too much in our, we weren't ready for that next step because we hadn't had the capability. Now you asked that question, how would I have known? I would have known that we should have deprioritized that earlier had I gone out and talked to my customers in aviation and realized that they're still looking for more of a standard thing that hits more on their needs and they want us to have it in stock, right? And, and more standard would do that for both of us. And I would have realized that talking to our suppliers who say, man, you're still doing a lot of different variations and ordering 15 different types of our product today, you know, and maybe keep, keep people on the leadership team, allowing them to be empowered to speak up. And when they do listen to them, those are all things that I learned. Now, the good news with that story is we, that need for Uber of fuel really didn't go away. And I'm happy to report that Beta's doing that today and they're better positioned three years later doing that to get through this pandemic than had we just killed it and, and never kept developing the business. And so they're more diversified today because we were committed to that, but it's a matter as a leader of knowing where it belongs and when you should really start it. Yeah. So, you know, especially with a lot of manufacturers, innovation is, is the big thing, right? You know, we always want to be innovating, coming up with the next new thing. But, you know, what you're saying is sometimes if we get so focused on what we can do, I'm about to quote Jurassic Park here, we, we don't ask ourselves if we should do it. And we don't ask our customers if we should do it either. We just think we're enamored with this idea that, hey, this would be cool. But we don't stop and ask, is it actually needed? Do people want to buy it? Is it, is it needed? Is it right? Is the timing right? You know, David, had I gone and looked at our warranty of our existed product or looked at some just other metrics of our P&L, I would have realized that we're not getting um, the warranty to a level down, you know, down and decreasing at a level. So new things keep coming out, even in our core business, that variability has to be pounded out before you can do something new. Yeah. <laughs> and it has to be related to what you're already doing. And, yeah. and we hadn't connect those dots. And I ran ahead with my strength of being visionary of where we really were at. That's a great example. How do we take, I, I love this so much. I mean, this just gets my brain blowing up because I'm a, a vision guy. I'm a change guy too. And, and um, 
David says, I'm the funny car. He's the parachute. And so, <laughs> and uh, so with, with that perspective, you know, I think back to Henry Ford, I think to Steve Jobs, where, you know, Henry Ford says, if I ask my customers what they want, they'd say a faster horse. Right. And instead they actually needed and wanted a car, but, but when and what and the price point, all those different things. And the same thing, nobody knew they wanted an iPhone. In fact, most people thought that was crazy. Who wants a computer in their hand that they walk around with? And now people literally think they couldn't actually live without it. Mm-hmm. And so, and so how do we know the timing, right? It starts with picking the right initiatives and making sure it's timely and fit for the market and fit for the organizations. And so how do we know if we picked the wrong one? How, you mentioned a little bit of you would have known this one. What is there a process, a framework, a strategy to knowing we're screwing up, we're picking the wrong one, or we're picking the one that is not currently at the right time? Right. Well, and just to quickly review, we've talked about step one is understanding those needs and which ones are the most important and which threats could you know, come along that could help us even strengthen the way we deliver those needs and how we do them, right? Step two is to make sure it's aligned. We've got the capability. It's something we should do, not just because it needs to be done doesn't mean we have to do it or it's the right customer for us or what have you. Step three really is about the execution and making sure we have the right measurements in place that we can get good feedback in our listening and adjust, whether that's our customer saying, you know, that there's, there's got to be still, it's, you're, you're in the right direction, but there's got to be a better way. Or it's, a, you know, our employees and suppliers telling us, slow down. You don't even have, you know, your basic blocking and tackling done to move to this level, right? You know, those are the, so, you know, really, this is the most important part. It's not necessarily the fun part for the visionaries, you know, operating a, a good pair like you and David are, someone who's in operations and figuring out the details and, and making, organizing out chaos really, you know, but we have to do it. It's a must do. You can't skip this step. So, you know, you, you've got to go through and ask yourself, how well is this truly meeting the customer need? Um, can we anticipate, how do we accommodate for where it is or isn't? Are we building capability to, to repeat this over and over? Do we have a process for that? And are we, do we have the right metrics? Have we, has our metrics been wrong? Have our metrics told the people inherently how to do it rather than empowering them to say, this is what, and let them be the experts. That's a big mistake that happens in the stage. And then they don't want to tell you because they think it's your baby, that, that something's wrong. They don't want to give you feedback. So again, how you incentivize, it's really our job at this stage as the leader to be the coach. We're coming in and we're seeing the potential of each person in that process and the organization and we're trying to empower them and bring them up to a new level. And um, where we spend our time with that talent that's critical to that new thing, anything that we've changed that's new is where we've got to be present and we've got to be coaching because we want them to be making the right decisions before something goes wrong without us having to be present. That's the whole secret sauce. At Danaher, I really learned that, you know, what game are we playing? And how are we going to win? And then the very next thing we did after strategy is we said, here's our things we're going to build this year. Here's who we're going to hire to build it. And we drove it down to we were measuring what people were doing on a daily basis called daily management, right? And one of the things I learned about going out and doing a lot of daily management is verification is powerful. But the feedback is even more powerful if you can get it and empowering others to anticipate what is coming next that they can see around corners and they can make 
you know, adjustments without you being there, that's where we're headed. Otherwise, we limit the organizations that limit, at, limit the organization's capabilities at wherever our capabilities at. That's it. And I've been guilty of doing that too along the way. Well, and so as, as leaders, I think you've done a fantastic job of laying out an, a simple three-step process that companies can use to make uh, their business or organization more robust and, and capable of withstanding events like we're experiencing right now or future events. Um, but, you know, what is, what is the one thing that leaders can do right now to start applying these, uh, applying these principles? It all starts with us. I, I mean, I think you have to just look in the mirror and say, are you, do you, will you get out, do you see getting out ahead of the organization and being, you know, proactive like this rather than reacting? Do you see that as like preventative, you know, like exercising is good for your heart or vitamins are good for your body? Are, are we selling vitamins to you right now or are we selling aspirin and the, you know, do you, have, you know, this is, if you don't see it as, um, anything that we should have learned from this pandemic or be learning from this pandemic is this, this process is both essential. It's like oxygen is to your body and preventative like exercise. Uh, and, and so your heartbeat of your organization can't happen without it. And if you don't buy into that as a leader, no matter what you start, it's not going to follow through because you're not really bought into it. Um, and so, you know, almost everyone has already got, I would just encourage folks that you're not far away from this. You've already got some process. It's a matter of opening that process up and formalizing it and you having the right role as a leader to facilitate it and bringing others into it, customers, employees, key stakeholders. That's the role I'm encouraging you, but you have to believe it. If you don't, if you don't believe it and you would rather, then, then it's okay. A lot of folks are successful, um, with what they can do with an organization. But if you want to go beyond that, you want to have a legacy, this is an important step that you have to do. It's that first self-examination is the first, very first thing we have to do is where are we really at? Hmm. Well, so what if the time is right this moment? What if someone has to react now? And so I was also just watching and I'm going to ask a slightly kind of generally off topic question because you've dealt with primarily larger organizations. When I say larger, I guess I mean not a gym or a restaurant, right? That's super small cap. But I was watching a video of a gym owner that has now gotten cited and shut down because they had to open because they couldn't pay the bill and they couldn't pay their mortgage. And literally they're going to lose everything that they have. That's the story of many, many millions of people around the country right now. So I know, or I, I don't suspect that's that's your quote unquote wheelhouse of the, the mom pop shop. But is there anything they can take from that? And then I'll also kind of connect that question with if not, or if so, a bigger business that they think their survival depends on it. So they've not literally been completely shut down, but they are almost there, right? They've been, they've had their legs chopped out from under them and, and they're committed to planning, but they're drowning. How do they just get some air? That's a great question. And I want to be a practical realist here. I realize that, you know, your listeners today, there's a lot of folks saying, John, that's great. That sounds like vitamins. I'm, you know, you're, you're, you're handing me swimming lessons and I'm drowning here, right? You know, <laughs> what do I do? You know, how do I do this? And, and it's funny you brought up the gym because I'm actually helping a fo- uh, an owner of a gym right now uh, make a small pivot in their business. And I think 
it just becomes a little bit more urgent. You know, don't give up on being able to plan someday, but right now let's get our breath. Our job as business owners is to effectively allocate cash to our companies to produce and increase future profits. That simple, right? Cash flow. So if you're struggling with cash right now, you got to increase cash. If you haven't already, you got to imagine the worst case scenario of demand shrinking. If you think it's coming down 30, imagine a world where it comes down 50 after this or more. And, and then say, why do folks come to me? It's those needs versus the other gyms or those other things. And, and I don't want to cut past the bone in those areas because I got to keep doing that and why they're and be better. And what are they going to need in that new normal? What is new look like? Do I have the core competency today to thrive in that new normal? Don't cut into that, but boy, you've got to cut your expenses quickly to the bone and beyond where those are no longer core. So in a lot of cases, folks have hired an insource, maybe different. You've got, you got to look at every function in your business today, no matter how small you are, and ask yourself, payroll, IT, engineering, inventory, admin help, certain assets, certain real estate certain portions of your entire operation. Is that needed in the new normal? Is that going to set me apart? And if it's not, you got to be unloading that. You've got to look at your payables and try to work with folks to stretch those out. You've got to collect your receivables. And I think most importantly, Dave, is you got to get in contact with your customers very quickly and try to understand, hey, guys, where are you at? Where are your new goals? And how can you adjust quickly to help them succeed and just maximize whatever revenue you can and trying to make that adjustment into the new normal. That's what you need to be doing now. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I think internally, a lot of organizations are learning, hey, maybe we don't need that big, nice office space, right? I mean, maybe, you know, there's, there's Twitter, Facebook, all these major uh, companies are saying, we spend a lot of money in real estate and leases and, and all of these things. Maybe we don't need those things. Maybe they're not essential to us serving our, our customers. Right. I, I, um, I'm the gym owner I'm, I'm helping right now. That's a great point is looking at the virtual training, the personal trainer virtually option and saying, Hey, people come to me for better, more sustainable results today. How do I do that in a virtual world? Executives travel too, right? Mm -hmm. So this is something that was being played with, but not a main driver for the business. And so how does the accountability get higher? How do people have harder and, and more impactful workouts with that accountability in a virtual environment and an offering? And then like you just said, that building doesn't become that sacred place for the majority of their business anymore when looking through that lens. Right. Well, and a question that I don't know if I have it very succinct, but <clears throat> we're talking about very, mostly we're talking about very direct threats, right? Cyber attack, terrorist attack, pandemic hitting us. What about those more subtle threats of just losing, you know, I, I guess it comes back to talking to your customer, but uh, Blockbuster. Right. <laughs> and, and then Redbox replaces them, a tiny little box right here, but then Netflix replaces Redbox. And so not, not only, you know, being able to, uh, not being forced by a pandemic that's a boom, you have to, ch you have to change or you go to business. It's this slow decrease in demand over time. Right. Is there, is there something you can point back to of, of how to observe when that demand loss is sneaking in or when your product is getting antiquated and you just need to take your internal service offering 
and make it about how do I care for my customers now? How do I do this product better? Right, right. David, I think, I, I think one thing to look for in that scenario is I always like to look at people's financials, believe it or not, because it tells a story. And when you see margins starting to compress and you ask the owner, hey, what's going on in your industry? And they're like, well, we're getting some more competition and there's more capacity than demand. Well, the demand, the needs are still there. The probability is they've just moved to needing to be fulfilled differently, right? And, there, and some people may have picked up on that or other industries may have picked up on that or not. And that's, that's a red flag sign to go, boy, do we need to go digging a where that trend is moving because we're all overbuilding capacity for a demand that's right. either fixed or shrinking. And it shows up in your financials pretty quick. Gotcha. Your customers awesome. will tell you too, because they'll tell you where they're moving and who else they're talking to. Love it. Love it, John. Well, uh, guess what? We're in for the final rundown. All right, let's do it. <laughs> so my, my favorite part to kind of learn the same types of questions from all these unique guests that are just all, all over the board. So I'm going to start with the, the first one. And, and John, what's the most impactful book you've ever read? Well, I've been doing a lot of lot more reading lately. I'm sure like a lot of folks have, <laughs> but I consume books and audio book and what have you. But I, w- I would say uh, by far it's the Bible. I, I, it's the only book I can read again and again and learn some lifelong wisdom to apply differently than the last time I read it. Most books that I read, you can read maybe once or twice and get another different few or maybe three times. But that, that for me is every time. Mm. Great, great. Uh, so you talked, uh, David, listed out a lot of your experience in different organizations. Uh, you mentioned some of the things that you've learned in those organizations, but you know, what's the best professional advice you've ever received? I'd say it's around leadership and leading is about helping others reach their potential. And it's truly amazing what can happen. I think we've all heard this many times when the leader's not concerned about who gets the credit. And it's, it's a bigger mission that, that requires more than just themselves. I think that's the best advice I've gotten. So, so let's pivot that a little bit. So what's, what's some of the worst professional advice you've ever gotten? And you and don't name names. I won't name names here, but you know, I, I was taught at one point to, you know, really push to hire on pedigree, a person's potential, and maybe their drive or ambition. And if you have those three things, um, the person that you've hired will figure out how to perform in any situation. And now I got to be honest, I have had the privilege of working with some of the brightest and most ambitious people that are going to go on to do greater things that I could, couldn't even dream of in my own. And I'm happy for that. Um, but I've learned as a leader in those environments that you have to assess the starting point of where your organization's at, what's that need today? And where are you going? And how does that align with the motivations of this person that you're hiring in? And the integrity they have that drive those motivations, because if those are out of alignment and the starting point's wrong, what I found is I end up putting too much of myself in trying to motivate that person to meet their potential that I see and, um, and, and it's the organization just really can't afford me to spend much time there. And, and I've had to learn that lesson a few times. That's a good lesson to learn. Uh, so, you know, over your career, uh, is there anything that you wish you could go back and do better? Uh, if you could get a do over, do you have anything in mind? 
You know, I, I like to, you know, move on from a lot of things, but I, I think you have to learn from your mistakes and everything that you do and try to better them. And I would have to say, the answer to that question would be definitely those hires where I let the potential trump the immediate need and fit and integrity for where we were going and telling myself that I could coach or motivate differently than maybe what was there at the beginning. I would go back and probably not hire those folks at all in, 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 the, in my career. Well, so, so that's a little bit kind of past looking. Now let's look to the future here. So what's the next big thing for you personally or professionally or both on the horizon? Um, a little bit of both. So we had planned, as I mentioned, to homeschool the kids and go to a national park state. You know, you know, our plans have changed and we're still, Debbie and I are still looking forward to how my wife and I are, you know, how do we weave that in to the kids' schedule, you know, if they do go back to school in the fall. Um, but since March, when this all unfolded, you know, I've been volunteering to help business owners, CEOs, and their businesses pivot, you know, I've, I've, and so I've been able to join a board of a small business. And I'm working with four additional CEO owners right now. And a few of those are looking to head to more formal engagements and maybe longer term partnerships. So I guess for me, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at Scout as, uh, you know, something that could evolve into, into helping business owners and being in their corner and really helping get out ahead and scout ahead of their business these things we've been talking about. So it is a little bit more intentional. And I would make a clear call to action to the listeners today, um, even if, if I may not be a fit for what you're, you're going through, but you want a more robust future, you know, looking organization, um, go ahead and give me an email. I, you, can, you can reach me. My personal email is jonathandeline at gmail.com. I'd be happy to give a few hours of my time and just to set you off in the right direction. I, I really do have a passion for business and um, I love this stuff. And he means it. And, and we, we've seen that personally, again, from, from folks who are in our C12 organization to uh, ourselves personally, just sitting down and talking with John just can give you some, some really good clarity around everything in your business, but strategic objectives. And are you, are you executing the right plan or, are you on track to get there? And so I would, I would gladly plug uh, that as well. And I think it's, it's well worth your time to reach out to him, and have him come in and, and take a look at your business. So John, could you go over those three points one more time, just for the summation, here's the three steps that people want to make sure that they touch on so they can go back and listen to those again. Sure. I, I would really focus on understanding what are my customers' needs and how they're evolving. What are the threats to those and how could I better, you know, deliver those needs with those threats that are applicable to my business. And then I got to make sure it's aligned to something I can do. I can't do everything. I can't have every customer. And then I've got to execute, measure, have the right metrics, and then get that feedback we talked about so that I can adjust because it always doesn't go to plan and that's part of having a robust organization. So I'll end there and just, I want to thank David and David. Thank you so much. I love the show. I love what you all are doing here. And um, I hope this has a, a positive impact for those leaders in the community and beyond here and, and they get something from this. So thank you so much for inviting me today. Absolutely. Thank you, John. Yeah, it's great.